Hello, what's going on? Jason Bay here. Welcome to Blissful Prospecting. In this podcast, I have conversations with reps, sales leaders, and other experts to teach you how to turn complete strangers into paying customers. I'm excited for our guest today. We're going to be talking about winning the relationship, not the deal. Our guest is Casey Jaycox, who is a sales and executive leadership coach. He's got a ton of experience as a sales leader and as a rep. And we're going to talk about a couple things and probably a lot of other things that we didn't plan on talking about, but curiosity and listening, ditching your ego, vulnerability, you know, versus leading by fear, all topics I'm a big fan of. Casey, it's good to have you on the show. I'm honored. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me on. We got to give a shout out to Tina Lasasso for for uh, making this connection happen. Yeah, shout out to Tina. And I don't know the thing that I sort of you know I don't know what it is, but talking to another person from the Pacific Northwest because you're up what near Seattle, mm-hmm. um, it's definitely something that we have in common. How do you just out of curiosity, where are you from actually? Are are you from Seattle that area? Yeah. Yeah, born yeah, just south, the uh, area called like Renton or Fairwood area. And now I live in a city called Maple Valley, which is southeast of Seattle. So do you feel like growing up in this area has influenced how you like your leadership style, how you sell, anything like that? Because you've sold to people all over the world and and led, you know, people all over the world. Yeah, I think um for me it's it's more um yeah, you know, I grew up middle class, like didn't take a bunch of, mm-hmm. didn't travel a bunch of places. A lot of it, I mean, vacation for us was camping or maybe yeah. a plane, one or two plane rides. Um, but but I, as I think about, you know, what shaped me and how I sell to people, it was definitely sports. It was definitely my, mm-hmm. my you know, my parents, a few good lessons. I, I can think of a lesson my mom taught me when I was 11 years old to lessons of, you know, a massive injury I had my senior year in high school that impacted where I went and played football in college to just you know, leader coaches and teachers that, that taught me about truly what hard work was not telling me, but like showing me and, you know, using their own vulnerabilities to help me feel safe to share what I wanted to do. And so those lessons I, I've applied in, as a dad now, um, but really as a, as a leader uh, of teams when I, when I was in corporate and then now when I'm working with organizations across the United States. So that's what I probably would, how to answer that one. Well, you got to tell me, you said you learned a lesson from your mom when you were 11, probably one of many, but does something in particular come to mind for you? Yeah, it's about being honest. So I love, I don't think I've ever yeah. told this on a podcast, but I, here we go. So 11 years old, first time playing baseball against like, you know, overhand, bringing the heat, no T-ball stuff. And the, the, yeah. the dude on the mound, I swear he was like seven feet, four inches tall and just threw like 7,000 miles an hour. And like his yeah. first three pitches, like were just everywhere. I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm literally going to, if I get hit by that, I'm done. Just lights out. And so I quickly went into like, okay, how can I not have to face this guy? Oh yeah. Stomach ache, faking a stomach ache. So I quickly oh. just like, I actually, I take that back. I had one at bat and I walked. Thank God I didn't get hit, but he, he's throwing balls over the backstop, almost hitting me. I was like scared for my life. And so I go to the fake stomach ache, get out of the game. I'm like, sweet, I'm safe. And in the car, I ended up telling my mom, hey, mom. She's like, how did you, you have fun? I'm like, yeah, I had fun. I'm like, hey, I was going to tell you, I, I really didn't have a stomachache, mom. I, I, I faked it because that guy was super scary to, to bat against. She's like, you did what? And right, and she, I was like, uh-oh. 
And she's like, okay. I'm like, well, why? She goes, well, we'll talk about it when we get home. And I remember, I'm shooting 46. How do I remember this? I had to call my coach personally and tell him what I did and apologize and tell him I'll never do it again. And then the next practice, my coach had me tell the entire team what I did in front of them all and own it and apologize. And uh, it was such a lesson of, you know, being able to attack your gaps. We all have them. Um, knowing that you're, you're, it's more than you. And, and when you do mess up, own it because it'll quickly go away once you own it. And, um, and just, and facing the music. I didn't, I didn't want to have to do that, but it was a quickly lesson of always tell the truth and, uh, set expectations. Um, so yeah, I, I, I still remember that today, to this day. Yeah. That's a cool story. I, I also hear in that too, that it, it's almost like it's, it's okay to be scared, but it's not okay to not be courageous. You know? Yeah. I love, I love that. So one of my mentors, uh, got him, John Kaplan, he had a great quote. I don't know if he said it or someone else said it. He said, it's okay not to know every answer. It's just not, it's, it's not, it's, it's okay not to know every answer. It's just not okay not to do anything about it. And yeah. as I think about like a sales audience, how many times do we as sellers, a leader asks us a question or a client asks us a question and we're scared to say, I don't know. Cause we want to look smart. We want to look like we're, we, we know our stuff and we're the seasoned rep and we're, we're, we're the best. But sometimes the power of saying, Hey, great question, Jason. I'm not sure. Let me get back to you by the end of the day. Just that saying, I don't know. And following up allows you to build trust, show them that you followed up, show them that you listened, which are usually two or three great skill sets that most sellers don't have. Yeah, I, dude, I'm so like, where do we take this conversation with you? Because there's so many, like what I, what I like about your stuff and just your approach is a lot of it's based around this foundation of just being a solid human being. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why I think so, that so many people resonate with it. But one of the things that you talk about in your book is like the first chapter, I believe, or the second chapter is about following the golden rule. Chapter one. Yeah. yeah and this, I think, kind of segues into that. Like, how did you come up with this? Like, when did you first realize as you were, you know, sort of coming up through the ranks and then also leading sales reps that it's like, hey, all these selling tactics are really, really good, but you know, none of this stuff works unless we're just like people that follow through and do what we're supposed to do. <laughs> you know, um, yep. how did you kind of come to that? If there was a realization that is like, Oh God, like this is the stuff I need to focus on. Yeah. The tactics and strategies are important, but like, this is kind of the missing link. Well, two things come to mind. One, I think about uncle, I'm going to go uncle Rico on you from Napoleon dynamite college football days. I think playing quarterback, yeah. right. If I was an a-hole and treated my lineman bad, treated my, my team bad, they're not going to want to play hard for me. They're not going to block for me. They're not, they're not going to yeah. go trust me on game day. So for me, that same mindset as a seller, as a teammate, I took into the business world. Now, early in my sales mm -hmm. career, I saw top performers at the companies I was at, were at were, I didn't think, super nice people. They were arrogant. They thought that their you-know-what didn't stink. They, at times, treated people poorly. And in my mind, I was like, oh, why? there's got to be a better way. And I was always yeah. motivated by, you know, if I think about, again, Uncle Rico moment here, like when I was in, in the weight room, I was like a, you know, 6'1", buck 90, buck 95 quarterback. Benching, benching a thousand pounds, that type of thing. I could bench, no, I could do, I could bench, I benched like 305 <laughs> was the most I ever benched. You didn't see, you didn't think it, there's like, no, how the dude do that? Yeah. And I love like being under the radar as a strong, stronger quarterback at the time. And the same thing is in sales. Like 
when people would meet me at like these awards trips or networking events, like, oh wait, you're, you're Casey. Oh, I was like, usually like top performers are, are, you know, arrogant, you know, can, and just, it's all about them. And for me, again, the position of humility that was driven to me from my parents to coaches to, uh, in, in business, I never wanted to be more about wanted to be about the team, not me, because in the end we're all replaceable, whether we think we are or not. And I thought, you know, what I just, I want to be around people that were going to be positive and bring me joy. And, um, yeah, that's why that's how I, and I think it's just a great way to start the day. Cause you have a better mindset when you're bringing positivity. Yeah. The, the thing that really, you know, kind of sticks out to me about that is the, God, I don't know the arrogant top performer thing. I, God, it's, I see this a lot in business too. You know, actually it seems like so hard to find people that perform at a really high level that are not absolute jerks. You know, yeah. there's a lot of them out there, you know, but, um, are you intentional? Like how intentional are you about like the people that you surround yourself with, like out, you know, outside of your family? Like, are you pretty intentional, like work-wise or, you know, your professional network, that type of stuff? Like how intentional are you about who you hang out with? I think very intentional. I, um, yeah, I, I like spending time with people who make me better. Um, I like spending time yeah. with people who have, think, have areas of their like life game I wish I was better at. Um, mm -hmm. I like spending time with people who have, um, who aren't afraid to challenge me in a, in a healthy way. Not to be again like an arrogant weirdo, but like someone who can just say, "Hey, I don't know if I agree with that case," and, and I respect him enough that I want to be challenged. Um, yeah. So, and it's funny when I this is like such a stereotype, but the very first one of the, I'm an unnamed person, but I will say that one of the the top performers that I had to compete against early in my career, I was like, I mean, of all the 1980s Miami Vice stereotypes, like cigarette boat, tight pants chest hair. Um, like his, his wife had enormous fake, you know what, like of all the stereotypes. And if, if, if someone's listening and that, I apologize, you're probably a nice person, but I'm like, th there's no need to show the, the chest fuzz in a meeting that there's that, that, that was cool in 82 and not, it's not, I think 2022, they don't want to see that anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that chest fuzz dude <laughs> see and I, and I like to have fun which i know like when i've listened to one of your yeah. episodes you said like one of your top three things is like have fun and kick ass or i think i'm summarizing but like as a quarterback yeah. i want to have fun in the huddle i want to have fun i want to have because yeah. if we're not having fun then we're not going to be our true authentic self and i one of the Corny dad jokes I like to use, but I also, I, I love the piece of advice. They said that the number one reason that Jason should be Jason and Casey should be Casey because everybody else is already taken. Yeah. Right. You know, so just be, yeah. and I think when we're, when we are our true authentic self, which is what chapter five is about, it's, we, we can, we just, it's, you, you can, you can just sell freely. You can be yourself and you're not, you're not worried about saying the perfect thing. And I think I've found that that level of authenticity sometimes to a fault. And I wish I had a filter at times, like hence, I just said the word chess fuzz on a podcast, um, would, uh, but sometimes like those random things help connect people. 
and bring a, rea- a normalness, normalcy to the conversation or relationship. Yeah, let's talk about that a little more. The the ditching the ego part, because I think that you know, we sort of talked about this before we hit record that there's kind of a couple lenses to winning the relationship, not the deal. Like as a rep, you know, winning the relationship, but also as a sales leader, you know, winning the relationship, you know, mm-hmm. with the rep, I think is kind of an interesting, you know, kind of take on that. But a big part of what I hear you talk about just in this conversation, a lot of it's just, you know, being able to lower and ditch your ego to the point to where you're not afraid to ask for help. You know, that's something I've personally struggled with a lot in the last couple of years that I've just worked on through therapy mostly is, you know, I just have a decades of habits of, in a lot of it, I played sports too, you know, football, baseball, not to the level that you did in college, but a lot of that was like, it was kind of reinforced in you to be a man you know, Mm -hmm. and not like be a lone wolf, you know, kind of thing is Mm -hmm. what was reinforced a lot for me, a lot of just sort of toxic leadership style. (laughs) Um, But with the ditching the ego and letting your authentic self shine, can you tell us a little bit more about how you think about that? How Mm -hmm. someone listening that's like, maybe struggles with that a little bit? Like, yeah, what advice do you have for them? Well, I'd, I'd tell you, I mean, I've already referenced three. This is my third Uncle Rico reference. So this is like maybe setting a record on your, on the, on your podcast. But where I feel like I got really good at that was playing college football and watching film. Yeah. So we'd play a game on Saturday and I might go, you know, 25 completions out of 37 attempts, 300 yards, four touchdowns. We win the game. However, the incompletions that I did not play well, I would get coached hard in front of my teammates. Casey, why was your, 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 your footwork wasn't right. Let's rewind it again. Casey, why'd you throw at that person? What was your mindset? What were you thinking? Uh, I don't know, coach. No, give me an answer. You got, I know you can think of something. Okay. Well, I said this, well, uh, I don't know. What about this? And so I would just, it was just back and forth and I got taught that it's okay to say, you know, Hey, I don't, I'm not sure. It'll, tell me what I should do. And that, that same skill set of being coached in front of your teammates applied to me, right. When I went into the business world. And as I think about you know, ego, uh, you know, great, great book by Ryan Hall, the ego is the enemy. I reference it, quoted him a couple of times in my book. So I think the definition for leadership and the definition for building relationships requires the two skill sets, which is humility plus vulnerability equals relationship or humility plus vulnerability equals leadership. The best leaders I've been around are humble enough to say, I don't know. They're vulnerable uh, or, they're, or they're vulnerable enough to say, I don't know, or they're humble enough to say, Hey, what do you, what do you think we should do? Susie or Rachel or Bob, and, and they're not afraid to go first. So we think about like sales leaders and role-playing, which when I say the word role-play, everybody on the, who's a younger seller just got nervous all of a sudden. Oh my God, I won't. But pro athletes practice, pilots practice, doctors practice, race car drivers practice, but yet we're in sales. We're that elite, Jason. We don't need to practice. We can show up and wing it. But imagine if our customers knew we would just wing it. And if, if we called our customers to say, Hey, you know, Jason over at um, ABC Company, he's a good guy. Yeah, I love him. He's a great guy. Guess what he does? He practices on you, Mrs. Mrs. Customer. And he has no idea what your business does. And he shows up like three minutes before. So I think like that, that mindset of being coachable, um, re- realizing that when you, if you can share your own stories of failure first, um, will get people to open up. Like, for example, I had a coaching call today, this morning. And we were working on that around trying to adopt a, a new mindset of that would impact their business. 
And I explained to him, I said, listen, guys, the, the, the things I'm talking to you about and coaching you on, I, I, I have the same gaps, right? Like there's a, I had a new client that requested something from me that I've never done before. I know I can do it. Um, I don't know really what to charge. So I'm going to have to ask for help from people in my network. And like, so I think like me walking the walk or showing that vulnerability of saying, Hey, I, I, I'm going to need help too. I found it really opened up the door for them to have a, um, a very interactive session with me. Um, they weren't afraid to say, I don't know. I, I remember I even, I even called on one of them to go to role play first and practice. And I said, here, I'll, I'll be the client and then we'll switch roles and I'll be, I'll be someone from your company. You be the client. You could be as mean, mean to me as you want. This is a safe spot. And she, she got stuck when she was the seller to me. And I said, phone a friend. I'm not judging you. Get help. And so she literally liked her, looked around and, and we had, we had fun. And I said, the, the power of doing that without ego, we just practiced. We got better. We didn't lose a customer. No one's judging. There's going to be days you you practice amazingly. And there's going to be days you suck. But the best part about that is it goes back to mindset. We have, we, each one of us on, on the earth get, get 1,440 minutes and then that clock resets. So I always tell people like, if you're going to have a bad day, that's fine, but just don't let that bad day lead to tomorrow. Cause two bad days in a row equals a bad week, then a bad month, then a bad quarter, then a bad year. And all of a sudden I'm on a performance plan. What the hell just happened? So that ego yeah. is a killer is a killer, ma'am. So I hope that answers your question. No, it totally does. Ego is, oh, it was a really big realization for me once I realized that the reason I don't ask for help is because of my ego. I made this story up in my head that I wasn't asking for help because I didn't want to bug the person. And yeah. really what it was is I didn't want to confront the fact that I have to rely on other people, like including my fucking wife, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, like I need her in my life to like for our marriage to function properly. And then when we have kids, especially like we need each other, there's nothing yep. wrong with like letting someone help you. You know what I mean? Like that right. was a really big thing for me, but, um, really a lot of what you're talking about is this, it's, it's like raising the standard, you know, and having a standard of excellence where I don't practice on prospects. I practice before I make a cold call before a sales call. I practice this stuff. I rehearse mm -hmm. it. It's this, I'm going to be world-class, you know, what I do sort of thing. Um, how do you, as a sales leader, or I'm just even in your client work, when you're working with these sales leaders, can you talk more about how you create an environment where people do feel comfortable opening up and being vulnerable, especially in those like sales team dynamics, like people on the mm -hmm. team or in their all hands calls or whatever it might be. How do you think about as a leader creating an environment where people are really comfortable opening up and being vulnerable? Um, I, I, I touched on a second ago, but I'll, I'll share it again. I, I think the power of that is going first, not yeah. being afraid to share my own gaps. If I'm going to ask them to do something, I say, Hey, before I like, for example, when I interview people on my podcast for dads called quarterback Dadcast, if I inter interview somebody and I, and I, at the end of the, most episodes, I talked, I asked the dad to say, Hey, talk about an area of your dad game. That's a struggle for you that, you know, you're not your best version of yourself. And I go, but before you answer, let me go first. My gaps, patience. My dad struggled with patience. He passed it down to me. Sometimes I find myself like sweating the small stuff, like having the dumb freak out moment at home. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, why are you, your kids are going to think you're 
it's a dipshit. Like, why would you do that? And then what do I do? Do I, do I just suck it inside or do I, do I stop and then say, Hey, you know what guys, Ryder Riley, my kids, that, that wasn't good. That, that was not the best version of dad. My, my bad. You know, own it. Make teach your kids. It's okay to apologize. Mm -hmm. Teach your kids, um, that you, we aren't perfect. And I, I think as it relates back to, to sales, whether I'm coaching one person or I'm coaching a, a group, um, I remind them, I say, listen, this is just one man's opinion. I'm not going to try to convince you to do anything. Um, everything I share with you, I'm not making up. It's either been, it's through 20 years of street fights. It's my own gaps, my own failures, or my few years of success. And it's your choice. If you, if, if these problems that you're showing me are big enough that you want to make a change, if not, if I'm trying to convince you or your boss is trying to convince you, you're never going to change. But you, once you convince yourself, just like I think in sales, the best sellers never sell. They just ask great questions to make other people sell themselves. That's the same thing with coaching. Um, my boy Voltaire, 1700 philosopher, French philosopher. I think he was a little bit of a sexist. So I'll bring him more to this day. He said, a man, I'm going to say, or a woman, ladies, I got your back. A man or woman is not judged by his or her questions, but by his, uh, sorry, was not judged by his or her answers, but by his or her questions. And so I think in coaching, when we make people think, and as a seller or sales leader, I always told my reps and myself, I want to hear two words in every meeting, which is great question. If I hear that, I know it was a successful meeting because I knew I made the client think. Yeah. And when you ask a great question, allow silence to set in sellers. And it's uncomfortable. Like I always have like a, this thing called the three tap rule in virtual selling. I might ask a question that I know it's going to make someone think I'll tap my finger three times. And I won't talk until I finish tapping my finger to give them time to think. Cause if you don't, you it's a wasted rep. It's a wasted question that you, you had a chance to really make a client think, differentiate yourself. Um, so those types of mindset things I, I talk to my clients about, but, but I think it revolves all the way full circle here, Jason, just about not being afraid for me to go first to talk about what I struggle with. You know, I think last thing I'll end with here is, you know, as the author of that book, when the relationship, not the deal, I've read the book seven or eight times through the editing process. Or when I, when I did the um, audible version, I've learned something from myself every time I read it. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff. It's a little embarrassing as the author that why I shouldn't be learning from myself. But the, 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 the key takeaway for me that I hope others at home take away is these six things that I wrote about aren't rocket science. They're just simple reminders that we need to focus on when things don't go the way we want them to do it. Like if a deal's stuck, if someone's not calling you back, uh, if, if, you know, the, the, the customer's confused, like all, all the things it's, Whose fault is it? Is it theirs or is it? No, it's ours. We've done something incorrectly. And let's challenge ourselves to kind of dig deep in discovery, which I believe that's where deals are won or lost always. Um, and if, if a deal ever gets stuck, rewind the tape, go back to discovery. Um, anyway, I love this stuff. It's fun to talk about. Oh yeah. This is, uh, I love that team of going first, you know, it's something I do a lot when I'm training reps, you know, is I will always make myself the butt of the joke. If I'm going to talk about call reluctance, I'm going to open that by talking about how I was really nervous before hopping on this training call. I was reluctant to do this thing. And good thing all of you are invited because I might not have showed up. <laughs> you, you know, go. like it. And yeah. uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that that's super important. So we've talked about follow the golden rule. 
We've talked about ditching the ego and letting your authentic self shine. You have a chapter about setting proper expectations. So tell us more about that. Chapter two, um, super simple. Most sellers struggle at it. So for example, if we're recording at 12 o'clock today and, I, and I'm running late, I have two choices. Either I should show five minutes late and I show you no respect and just assume Jason had nothing else to do. Or if I know I'm going to be late at 11.56, I'm going to send you a text or an email saying, Jason, hey, it's Casey with Winning the Relationship. My apologies. I'm going to be running about two or three minutes late. Just want to give you a heads up. That alone, I find, is uncommon. Yeah. Uh, setting expectations, whether you're in product sales or I, you know, I came from the staffing and consulting industry. Um, if you committed to a, a client or a prospect that you're going to do something and you're not and it's not going to happen, some sellers choose the let's just be silent and pretend it's going to go away and solve itself and hope and cross your fingers, which creates just massive anxiety in your stomach. And you'll probably have an ulcer one day. I would not choose that route or attack it head on. And I, and I talk about an example in, in the book where I was a part of our largest deal in my, my former company's history. I was also three months later, part of the biggest disaster in our three company's history. We had a $20 million deal that we won that was freaking amazing. And then three months into it, the client lost budget, had a massive financial mix up somehow. And I had to make a choice of saying, what are you doing? Like blame them, get mad. Or I said, Hey, it's all right. We'll figure it out together. I know you didn't wake up saying, man, oh. I can't wait to lose budget and ruin Casey's month and Casey's year and, and the publicly traded companies screw them. Like stuff happens. Right. And so I thought what a great opportunity to show them I'm about the relationship, not just this transaction. And so the, the expectation part is now I had to set, I had to, I'd either tell my leaders, and this was like a big enough deal that would like hit like a public as a publicly traded company, like wall street stuff. I was freaked out. I was like, shoot. And one of my, my former boss, he was a great listener. And I called him and I said, I don't, I'm, this is, I'm not get, I'm not having a good feeling there, here, boss. And, and I think we're going to lose a lot of this deal and we're going to lay, I have to lay some people off. He's like, dude, you didn't, wasn't your fault. You didn't do this on purpose. We'll get through it. And this is the first time I actually worked for someone younger than me too. Um, which took yeah. me ditching my ego and learning from, and he was one of the best listeners I ever, I ever uh, worked for. And you know, I had to like then set expectations internally with my leadership team about what's, what's, what's to, what's to happen. What's, what are the risks? As scary as it was by just attacking it head on, it made it go away. I felt better because when we, when we, when we keep that negative energy inside us, all it does is just erode. Um, and I think of like, you know, setting expectations also leans into what chapter four is about is around documentation, which is usually a, a sellers hate that because, oh, I just want my, my boss is making me document they're on my case. And which is the most horrendous attitude to have sellers documentation made me look way smarter than I am. I documented everything about everything I'd ever learned, their pets, where they went to college, their favorite food, their beer, their coffee, everything. And I, and I always use what I documented as to lead with the next conversation. So like, for example, back to expectation management, let's say I'm working with you, Jason, Jason says, Hey, Casey caught me at a bad time. Call me in two weeks. Okay. I have two choices right there. Either I document it and say that and, and say why Jason needed to call me in two weeks, or I just wing it and write it in my hand. Oh shoot. I showered all my notes went away. What did, what did I write in my hand? I don't know what I was supposed to do. Right. So then I call in two weeks, Kate, Jason, it's Casey with winning the relationship. I'm calling per your advice, per our conversation we had back on April 10th, 
is now a good time. Just that alone showed I listened, I documented, I followed up, and I'm just following what you told me what to do versus taking the guesswork out of it by calling to quote, check in in quotes, because like whenever we call to check in sellers, if you're listening still remind yourself that you might as well say, I'm calling to waste your time, Mr. Client calling to waste your time. You got a minute. Don't check yeah. in. Checking in was cool in like 82 back when chess fuzz was cool. Okay. Call with the purpose. Call with something you learned in the previous conversation. Call with something that you, you read about in the newspaper. Call with something that's in their industry and use curiosity to ask a question. And if you find something that someone else is good at or they want to talk about, most likely they're going to engage with you. So yeah. I mean, expectation management, I've, it's a hot button for me because I've, I've been on the other end of it where, like, for example, out to my left, I have a, a small landscaping project. That I'm, I've been waiting for that to get done for the last five weeks. The, the, my sales rep at this landscape company, I won't throw them under the bus, put them on blast, but they said, yeah, yeah. Hey, this person's going to be in touch. We'll, we'll be following up with you. Haven't heard from them since. Haven't paid the last part of the bill. I'm like, until it's just like, it doesn't need to be that difficult. And these are things we have control over too. Yeah. Yeah. You have a hundred percent control over that. Uh, the way that, let me know what you think of this. The way I've always thought of this is how could I model to this prospect that I would be a really good person like on their team? Like if they were considering bringing me on as a peer or if it's a VP, someone that's helping them run their team. And as a rep, it's like, how are you modeling someone that would be in an ideal employee for them? Because most employees suck. Like you look at any organization, most of the people are average or below. It really doesn't take that much to differentiate yourself. And if you show the prospect that, hey, dude, I want to show you that I'm the type of person that you would want to hire if you could. I love that. It's a great mindset. It's a great mindset to have. Yeah, there's, um, there's uh, a former Los Angeles Dodger manager named Tommy Lasorda. And one of my favorite quotes I'll share with teams. I love that he's, and you made me think of it now, Jason, he said, there's three types of people in life, people who watch things happen, people who wonder how things happen. And then people who make things happen. Yeah. And like, what bucket are you going to be in? Like pipelines aren't going to fill themselves. Phones aren't going to dial themselves. Emails aren't going to send for themselves. I guess if you use automation and bots, maybe they can, but yeah, again, that's, that's only going to work for so long until they realize there's no one behind the technology doing something for you. You know, I think that's why I love about relationship selling. I know there's probably people who are listening that might you know, disagree eventually. Cause I've seen it out there on, on LinkedIn where people say that, you know, it's the relationship games over. I totally disagree. The feeling where you can have that Maya Angelou moment. I say when it's, it's not what I said, why I said it, but how I made you feel when you leave the conversation, that is so powerful. The, 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 the curiosity that you can show in somebody with through your tone, your body language, your empathy and your voice that will never be replaced by technology. In my opinion, one man's opinion. And I'll, you know, I'm in my mid forties. I'm going to keep doing this the way I know it's worked for me my whole life. I still adopt technology, but that human connection that we have all missed over these last two years, there's a reason why we're humans. We like connecting with people. We like interacting with people and we like, you know, the, 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 experiences you can get when you, when you talk to people, it's infectious when you have the right people around you. So I think your mindset that you would teach your reps, I think it's awesome. Is like, yeah, make, 
make you make yourself hireable. Like why would, what would you, what would you do that would impress that person so much to say, man, I wish that person was on my team. I wish my seller sold like that. That's a great one. Yeah. It's just effort. I think that, do you ever encounter reps that are fearful of like doing too much? You know, so oh, yeah. for example, like they're self-conscious about, oh, I know the this person's favorite coffee. How about I send them a gift card, you know, for their favorite coffee shop or something where they feel like it's going too far. Do you ever encounter that? Because I relate. That's something I relate with. I So when I, when I, I love you asked me that because now, I don't know if this is going to be a video podcast, but people, if you're not on video, there's a sign behind me that says the word belief. And it's a little bit Ted Lasso, a little bit Seattle Mariners run last year where they had, they gave out belief signs and I, I loved it. And so I, I, when I work with my clients, I talk about the word belief and we have to believe what we do matters. And if you don't start the day believing what you do matters and it can help solve a problem, it can help provide value to somebody, then you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. And you should try to find out why, why are you not believing? And so for someone who's questioning themselves through negative self-talk, about, oh, I shouldn't do that or I should do that. I would say, man, tell me what's changed. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? I said, well, you told me two weeks ago, you believe what you do matters. But the fact you're thinking about all these things that have nothing to do with anything other than your own head, uh, you're stopping yourself. So if you believe that it will help someone, then go do it. Your intentions are right. Your, your, your heart's in a good spot. You can't control whether they like it, accept it or not. But if you're doing it because you want to serve somebody, I teach people to be, have a boomerang mindset too right? Keep serving people, keep with goodness, but don't keep score. Yeah. You, enough, you do enough good things to people. It's going to come back to you. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting how that works. Where do you, where do you draw the line in your life with giving too much to people that may not be deserving of it? How do you, how do you think about that? That's a good question. You got the GC out of me, brother. Um, you know, I, I think f for me, if I, um, if I see somebody, if I, if I've done someone for something and, you know, once or twice, you know, but if like the third time I, I see him like, just like zero thanks, zero gratitude, zero appreciation, just assuming that this is what I'm going to be doing every single time, then I, I choose that I, I have, I have a choice to spend time elsewhere. And then maybe I'll slowly let that relationship kind of fall out of that top five, top six. They're still going to be an acquaintance, but maybe they're not going to be someone I'm going to spend a lot of time with. Um, again, I'm not, I, I probably won't make a, a too huge deal about it because, because again, I can't control that. To me, I, again, if, if I go back to just following my core fundamental, core fundamental values of things that I care about, that know make up what I care about, that I know will help create great human beings. Like those, if I focus on that, usually things are going to take care of themselves. Um, at least for 46 years of life they've had. And that hopefully I didn't yeah. just jinx myself that tomorrow does stops working. Right. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. It's something I've personally struggled with. Uh, yeah, I, for most of my life have been very much a giver, you know? But doing it to the point to where I don't, I'm not even really thinking about myself at all. You know, I, I don't suspect that most sellers are probably in that position where they are 
giving so much that they need to check themselves. <laughs> I suspect that just in my anecdotal experience, it's typically the opposite. But um, yeah, because I because yeah. this whole kind of podcast, the theme has been around stuff that you you know kind of blending your personal and your professional life like with similar values, right? Taking a value based approach to it and. Yeah, this is just something I think about a lot because it, it does kind of suck. And there are people that maybe, you know, for example, I've been friends with for over a decade. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm on this path where I'm growing and, you know, trying to be a better person and all this other stuff. And they haven't changed in the last 10 years. And, and hey, the relationship was built upon me doing a lot of the work mm -hmm. and everything, all the coordination and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, so that's been kind of hard for me, yeah. You know, to really kind of grasp. Wrap my head my wife, my I, my wife is is um, my wife is a beast. She's a so organized, so detail oriented. She's the planner. She puts everything together. And I know I remember at times like early before we had you know kids were young, she'd be the one to put all these events together with friends and family and 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 I think people just assumed it was just going to happen because Carrie figured it out and she's good. And then I yeah. think sooner or later, my wife said. I don't want to have to do this every time. I said, then don't. Yeah. Someone else will step up. Right. But if you keep yeah. doing it, that's on you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, someone else will do it, honey, trust me. Um, and sure as you know what, someone else stepped up and, and it's okay to say, Hey guys, I, I, I don't have time to plan this. I need someone else to do it. We got stuff going on. Like she's taught me the power of saying no, which I think is a great skill set that sellers Sellers should be uh, get comfortable doing because every seller wants to say yes. Every seller wants to be liked. Every seller wants to be able to go do something for their client. But like I share a story in the book around an opportunity where I was calling a guy and he gave me a great opportunity. And I knew, and as I, as I dug in through discovery, I realized, shoot, the timeline's too tight. Risk is too great. Um, I can't, I got to walk away from this thing. It sucks. I want, I have to walk away from it. And I remember going back to him and I told him that we're going to walk away. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, I don't want to be the guy when you're in Las Vegas at this event and you're saying, Jay Cox, Jay Cox. Oh yeah. That was that tool sales guy that freaking overcommitted and then screwed me and had the application come down at this event. Yeah. Give him a call. Great guy. I'd rather you yeah. say it was actually refreshing hearing a salesperson be honest and say they'd rather have their, their, their loyalty, their person, their reputation, uh, more than, you know, a $10,000 commission check they might get, but in the end they're going to lose a relationship and, and all the negativity that negativity that's going to come from that person I pissed off. Yeah. So, um, yeah, power knows, uh, and there's a great book called essentialism by Greg McCown. If you ever read it around. Oh yeah. Killer book. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think learning how to say no is really powerful too, because learning how to gracefully reject someone makes you better at taking rejection. I think a lot of the, a lot of sellers, they take rejection really personally because they don't think about what it's like to be someone that has to reject people. Like most prospects mm -hmm. don't, unless they're freaking sociopaths, they don't get enjoyment out of like shutting down salespeople. That's, this is why prospects lie. Yeah, right. I mean, how many times have you lied to a salesperson? I, I'm making a big assumption here, but you've probably told people that you, you know, call me back. Yeah, definitely call me back that you didn't really want 
to call you back. You've probably done that at some point. I would imagine. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, yeah, I, sure, I, I, I catch sure, myself yeah. doing no, it all the time I, I still, sure. you know, and it's just like, you know, cause I just don't want to say like, if I don't like someone, I'm not going to say that to their face. I'm not going to be a, you know, a jerk to mm-hmm. them. The ones like, yeah, I send have, me an email, you know, <laughs> I, I am, I will say that I am because I get, I'm sure you do too. I get a lot of LinkedIn requests. I can tell yeah. when they're fake and it drives me mm-hmm. nuts. And the one I had to give feedback to this person, he, he reached out to me, he says, Casey, love your profile, love your background. I'd love to work with you on, on trying to help you publish a book. Yeah. I'm like, bro, I already wrote a book. You, yeah. you obviously aren't, you obviously didn't take any time to, to, to do a little, just a teeny bit of research. Yeah. Now, if you would, if you would have let, Hey, it's, I want to connect Casey. I'd love to learn more about the process of how you wrote your book when the relationship met the deal. Boom. I'm accepting that one. Yeah. I'm, I'm making time because he, he, he did a little effort, but when people don't, and I think it's, it's, but it's as us as sales leaders, or if, if people are selling us service, it is our responsibility to say no, because you're, you're actually going to yeah. save yourself time because all you're doing is delaying the inevitable. Yeah. They're going to call you back versus I'd say, Hey, you know what? Like I had a guy, he, he hardcore tried to sell me on him, hiring me, me, him, him having me hire him as a coach. And I was like, and so I tried to like explain what I'm doing and, and gaps. And he kept like, giving me all the features, benefits and reasons why, and all the things I'm going to get out of it. But he never tied it back to a problem that I'm experiencing. Yeah. Which, um, I don't know. It goes back. To, that's why it goes back to like the things I wrote about, like listening, hearing, yeah. you know, I don't know. This stuff's fun, man. Yeah. Let's talk real quick about listening. Because yeah. we could have spent a whole hour talking about listening, but it's something you talk about a lot. Yeah, and it's this don't just hear your customers, listen to them. Mm-hmm. What are kind of your top tips on how to become a better listener? And maybe start with what is good versus bad listening? <laughs> you know, what does good so, look like? Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you what bad looks like. Bad looks like if you're talking to me, I'm, I'm listening, I'm looking at my phone. Yeah, Jace, keep going. Wait, what'd you say? Or you, yeah. you asked me a question and my notification, my phone goes off and I look at my watch. I just sent a message to you that I got to go my clocks or, um, you, you tell me that you went to Oregon state and I, I call you up and I'm like, Hey dude, how's, how's life as a Husky? How's the, how's you dub going? You're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like you, you're, you're not, you're not listening to anything that they told you and you're, and you're, and you're losing all those op- small little nuggets of wisdom and information that you can use to build a relationship. Listening is conscious. Hearing is subconscious. We subconsciously hear everything. I just heard an annoying dog in my house bark. I, I can either give her the attention or choose to ignore her. I'm choosing the ignore. Uh, listening is eye contact. It's, it's asking a question and shutting up, giving space for them to answer something back to you. It's following up with a follow-up question, which I follow a framework called TED. Tell me, explain, describe, which is absolute gold. And I, I learned it at 41 years old. I wish I would have learned it in my twenties, but that framework, tell me, explain, describe all my questions. I like to use or with start with that, allow me to become a better listener. Now, if, if there's sales leaders, you're looking for an activity, I'll give you a free tip here that I've used in some of my workshops that I stole from someone else that is so powerful. So you get your, imagine if you get your sales reps in a room, 20 of them, we all pair up. So imagine Jason, you and I, you and I, you and I are paired up and your job is to tell me, and we all, we set the timer for a minute. And so your job is to tell me something that's 
tell a story about something that's important to you just recently in your life. My job is to make you feel like a turd in a punch bowl, like make you feel worthless. I'm not even going to look you. I'm going to be like, wait, what'd you say? I'm going to grab my phone. I'm going to be writing stuff down. Look, I'm just, and your job is to keep going, right? After a minute, the moderator or leader will go, Jason, how'd you feel? And you're most likely going to say that sucked so hard. I didn't feel like Casey cared about me. He looked distracted. <laughs> yeah. It so sounds brutal. <laughs> yeah. And the question I'll say is think about how often we do that every day to people yeah. internally, to our customers when they can't see us on zoom or face or teams. We're just, we're, we're doing too many things. Now we reset the timer for a minute. Jason, tell the same story. Casey use Ted based framework and ask questions, dig deep on why that story is so important. And the key, the gift is this, is the moderator or the sales leader, he or she will not stop the clock at a minute. And you'll watch the energy will start rising in the room. You can hear it. People will keep talking. All of a sudden it gets louder. All of a sudden there's some laughter. And then as the moderator, I'll stop at like the four minute mark. I'm like, all right, guys, minutes up. How was that? And be like, oh, it was awesome. That was so cool. I mean, I had no idea about this person and blah, blah, blah. And I said, guess what? We didn't go for a minute. We went for four minutes. And think about that experience you just had. You have control over that. If you give that to the prospects, your teammate, your leader, your wife, your husband, your friend, your daughter, your son, if you choose to, or, and be uncommon or keep being like every other person who's average or below average and going through life, not being present, not listening. But I tell you, man, when people listen and I can see it in their eye contact, it is the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Most people don't get that on a daily basis. Most people don't get that from the people in their family, even, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a, such a huge, yeah, I like what you said. It's to give them the gift of listening and feeling understood. Mm -hmm. Oh man. It, there's just, there's, you're totally right. There's nothing that feels better than that, dude. Especially if you have had a significant other or someone in your family or growing up or whatever, and people didn't listen to you, which I'm sort of fortunate that I did ha do have family and a, and a good spouse that li listens to me way better than I listen to her. Uh, most people don't experience that. They don't have that, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're that it's one bad. person I mean, I that can be like that really positive, give them some really good positive vibes, you know, make them feel really heard and understood. Yeah. Next time you go to a restaurant, just look, look around. Look, look, look around at how many poor listeners there are. I, I was at a restaurant last week, my wife and I, I saw there was two people at the table, they were friends. One guy was like telling this, her, his friend, the story. And she was, she had her phone right in front of her face, like three inches. Of, and just, I'm like, what a joke. Yeah. And the guy kept going. Like, I'm like, I would have stopped and said, Hey, let me, let me know when you're ready to, to meet. Yeah. I, I'm actually going to go. And yeah. again, these are simple things that will dramatically impact the relationships you have. And, you know, hearing, uh, I mean, listening is one thing, but it's, it's, what do you do with that information? Where are we, where are we documenting it? Where are we putting it? Where are we going to, what are we going to do when we talk to that person again? Are we going to bring up something they shared as our first or second question? And if you do that, I would be willing to bet a lot of money that they're gonna be like, how'd you remember that? Oh, hey, thanks for asking. That was so cool. Yeah, we talked about that last time, Jason. You told me about, about whatever, you know? Yeah. Not rocket science, but simple things. Yep. And those are things that, that I did for years and still do to this day that helped me win people. Yeah. Love it.
Well, hey, we're almost out of time. I want to make sure we get to these rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Let's go. Lightning round, baby. Okay. If you uh, if you had to choose between phone, email, and social, so think just for prospecting, um, what do you pick and why? Um, I'm going to pick phone because I can control uh, the tone and empathy of my voice. Love it. What is something you believe about sales that most would disagree with? Uh, sellers aren't all liars. Sellers can be honest. And I'm proof of it that you can be. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself as a rookie sales professional? Practice, practice, practice. I would find the top people in, in, in any company I'm at and I would, I'd take them to lunch and I'd say, I'd ask them the same question you just asked me. Tell me, I'd, maybe I'd, I'd do it in a framework I call give to, take to. Tell me two things you wish you, you love doing now in your job and tell me two things you wish you would have done differently at my age, at my job, at my stage of my career. And then just go attack those things. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, before you take off, I just want to remind everyone that's listening, like the show, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, that sort of thing. But Casey, where can people go to connect with you, learn more about what you're up to, grab your book, all that good stuff? Yeah, the best way I would say is either via LinkedIn. I uh, love connecting with people. So if I said something other than chess fuzz that made you giggle and, and be intrigued, uh, encourage me to connect there. Or you can connect me at just my website, which is kcjcox.com. There's links to my podcast. There's links to learning more about the book. There's links to videos about other customers who have engaged with me. And But the book is on Amazon. You can get it in Audible, Kindle, or paperback. 